Hello, welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, hosted by me, Jack Perks. Professionally, I'm a wildlife cameraman, but I dabble in podcasting, and each Tuesday we release an episode as I have a chat with scientists, artists, filmmakers, and passionate people all about nature in a light-hearted and certainly not serious way. Hello and welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm your host, Jack Perks. Now today, my guest is Rob Collins from the Rivers Trust, and we're talking about the subject of forever chemicals. Now, if you don't know what they are, that's basically chemicals that enter our rivers, not just via sewage, lots of different pathways, and are all but impossible to get rid of, or very difficult to get rid of. I thought I knew about this subject. It turns out there is so much more to discover much of it quite worrying, but it's really interesting stuff. Now, this is the bit where I plug buymeacoffee.com. Now, if you don't know about that, it's basically a way that you, the listener, can support the podcast. I run this podcast on my own with no funding. I'm not sponsored. I don't know anything like that. So the only way that I can keep going is via you, the listener, chucking me a couple of quid every now and again. I think it starts at a fiver, so it's the price of a pint or a coffee. If you've enjoyed these episodes and you think, you know what, if I ever met Jack... I'd buy him a pint or a coffee, then why not chuck one in? And it just helps me to become independent. I can say and do what I like and uh, keeps the ball rolling. So please do so. I've noticed a few of you have donated but not left messages, which is absolutely fine. I really appreciate you sending some money in. Uh, But if you want to leave a message, I'll read that out in future episodes. But one or two people have already donated uh, but not put a message, which is absolutely fine. So yeah, appreciate that. Thanks for chucking it in. Before we start, I also want to issue a correction. I'm going to sound slightly like a disgraced Tory MP now, but I uh, I got someone's name wrong. I got a guest name wrong. So a couple of episodes ago, I think it was 142. I'm going to say 142. Let me just double check. Uh, 141, sorry. Uh, episode 141, Wild Swimming to, uh, to Watch Wildlife with Nicola Morris, I said in the podcast, but her name is Nicola Crockford. And she was very confused as to who Nicola Morris was. So I just want to point out that I say in the episode her name is Nicola Morris. It's not. It's Nicola Crockford. My bad. Uh, I've got a short attention span on the best of days. I'm dyslexic. Uh, whatever whatever excuse I want to use, I, I apologise for that. But I got her name wrong on that. Uh, I haven't got Rob Collins' name wrong, though. And that's our guest today. So we're going to be talking about Forever Chemicals. It's such an enlightening chat. I learned so much from this. And hopefully you'll get a kick out of it as well. Here's our chat. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. Thank you very much. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Good. Thanks, Jack. That's all. That's all we can ask for in life, isn't it? <laughs> so um, we're we're talking about a subject that I know very little about, really. So I'm quite excited, which is um, forever chemicals, which sounds very dramatic. But I think, firstly, just want to say who you are and, and what you do, and then we'll get into these chemicals. Yeah, sure. So. Um... I'm Dr. Rob Collins. Um, I'm Director of Policy and Science at the Rivers Trust. So we're the umbrella body for um, around 60 individual trusts um, across the UK and and Ireland now, um, working to protect and restore our freshwater ecosystems. And um, I have a role um, focused upon, uh, as do a couple of colleagues, focused upon chemical pollution of our freshwaters. 
and to some extent coastal waters as well, but we tend to focus on the freshwater side of things. Um, so these are these are some of the nastier chemicals um, we we release into the environment. So they include forever chemicals, but but there's a whole really huge wide range beyond those as well. And they have we know they have quite an impact upon the upon aquatic life and potentially impacts upon human health as well. Wow. So I guess everyone talks about um, sewage, and, and rightly so, we should be talking about sewage, but this isn't necessarily connected to that, is it? Is that right? It, it, you're right. It, it's, a, it's a complex issue. Um, yeah. These hazardous chemicals are released from um, or a, a number of different sources. So it can be from agriculture, for example, pesticides or veterinary drugs washed off agricultural land into the river, uh, industrial chemicals, um, a whole range of other chemicals washed off our roads, so in the urban environment, and transport and so on, and in our homes as well. Um, I would say the majority of them end up going down the sewer system and into the wastewater treatment plant. So in that right. sense, they are, you know, closely linked to sewage and, and sewage discharges obviously have been in the news um, a huge amount in the last 18 months or so, um, but not necessarily, you know, um, the the pathways of from release into the environment are quite complex and into the aquatic environment. So they can be just simply washed off the road and directly into a river or ditto agricultural land as well. So it's a complex picture, picture, picture really. Right. So when we say um, forever chemical, that I mean, I'm not sure how literal that is, but it, it basically, um, well, it's staying in the river for a long time. Is that that's the, that's the gist of it? Um, yes, more or less. It's it's more the certain chemicals. I mean, there are ones called PFAS to give them their their full name. Per polyfluorinated alkyls. Well done. I wouldn't <laughs> be able to say that. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, which have hit the news recently, and they they are kind of known as the forever chemicals because they assist in the environment for up to a thousand years. They really wow. just don't break down, and um, well, we know those they have harmful impacts upon um, again aquatic life, whether freshwater or coast marine um, life, but also human health as well. But those um, they are very persistent, um, and. They and certain other chemicals can also be bioaccumulative, so they they build up in the food chain. So all of that means that um, yeah, they hang around in the environment and in the aquatic environment for a, you know a really long time. So when these chemicals find their way in, into the rivers and into uh, different animals and whatnot, um, how how do we get rid of them then? That's the, I guess that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Like because obviously if we if they're not going to break down over time and, and we we don't want them there. What is the removal method? Yeah, that's a that's a real key question because, as you pointed out, once they're in the environment, and you know, it's not just water; it's air and soil as well, beaches. Um, it becomes really tough then. So, if you take PFAS already in the river, that that's a really tough problem to solve. So, what we really need to be able to do is tackle them at source and and prevent um, prevent uh, they're released into the environment in the first place in, in such quantities. So it's about, I mean, there's, there's a lot to this about what we do about the problem, but one really important aspect is tackling them at source. So by right. the time they're released into the environment, you've got a big problem on your hands. Um, so you want to kind of 
address the issue at source and prevent them getting into the environment in the first place. So that means, for example, in the most harmful of these chemicals, you want to sort of slowly phase out their use or rapidly phase out their use, except for perhaps the most um, essential uses, for example, in medicines, for example, or, or the medical uh, profession. So it's got to be tackled at that at that level, tackle it at source. It's so much easier and cheaper to do that than than trying to uh, remove once it's in the once they're in the environment. Because there's isn't there a lot of talk at the moment about um, a certain pesticide that they might be they're trying to bring back for uh, I, I guess agriculture to, for pests, but there's a worry about bees and whatnot. But presumably that can end up in rivers as well. You you also kind of briefly touched on um, pet medicine, which people might find almost funny but it, it is a problem isn't it like the, the the flea treatment that gets into rivers can can have massive effects can't it it, it absolutely can so it's fleas and worms and tick treatments and yeah we did we did some work recently in the rivers just with the wildlife and countryside link to look at these pet parasiticides um in rivers in england so we we interrogated the environment agency um database on chemicals and you're right so we find things like fipronil uh, in in around 37% of rivers, but every time we found it, so that's one of these pet parasiticides, it exceeds the standard that's set um, or proposed to protect aquatic life. Um, and another one of those actually is um, what you were mentioning there is a neonicotinoid pesticide. That's the one. Uh, yeah, that's so the one. they have been uh, somewhat banned, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, one or two of them or one in particular has had emergency exemptions in recent years to um, it's used on sugar beet to prevent aphid infections. Um, so, and those are really worrying chemicals and you can find those in our rivers as well. And you can find, you can also find some of those that have been banned, uh, you know, banned two or three years ago, we can find those in our rivers. So there's a sort of a legacy problem. And that's actually true of um, certain chemicals that were banned 20, 30 years ago. You can still find them in rivers and groundwater and coastal waters so you know even when we do something about it there's that time lag there's a real yeah you know, we call them legacy chemicals there's a real problem so um you, you know if we don't act now we're storing up a problem for some decades in in you know in some cases the more persistent pollutants anyway because we know that if we do uh ban some of these chemicals obviously there are upsides because i mean the classic one is, uh, is ddt isn't it which which was widely I, I can't remember the exact use for it you might be able to Correct me on that, but I know that had big problems with things like otters breeding and certain birds. It would thin the eggshells, so it would stop stop them. Um, and then we obviously got rid of that. And then that has been shown to to really help us a lot of our wildlife. So we know if we can find an alternative for these chemicals, it's it's beneficial for the environment. Oh, uh, for sure, yes. And um, there's something called the Stockholm Convention that has banned some of these uh, more dangerous organic, persistent organic pollutants some decades ago. And you're right, we've seen in a variety of wildlife, um, otters and marine life as well, declines in those concentrations in the tissue of the of the actual animal. So that's a good news story. Um, the, uh, the counter to that is we're using chemicals uh, in quantities that are increasing all the time. So I think there's some indication to show that between something like 2017 and 2030, we will, we will double the amount of chemicals we use globally. So all the time, new emerging chemicals are coming onto the market. And we're finding, um, going back to PFAS, for example, though it's not all about PFAS, but 
levels in otters and so on, I, I think, it, um, and other animals um, uh, in marine animals and uh, wildlife connected to the river, we're, we're seeing PFAS levels of a worrying level in those in those animals too. So there's some good news stories to show that if you're right, if we do act, we can do something about these. But the challenge is dealing with all these other chemicals that are coming onto the system being released into the environment. Just just tracking those is hard enough. You know, we don't have sufficient funding to monitor them um, well enough. Which you think would be a major priority, really, wouldn't you? But hey ho, get 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 in queue with all the other problems that are uh, happening with rivers at the moment. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's a big issue. I think. Yeah. The environment, the environment agency's funding to monitor, just monitor, you know, in terms of water quality, has declined. Has been reduced by about fifty percent over the last decades. They're all yeah. thereabouts. Shocking, so that's isn't the, it? Yeah. You know, yeah. So just, just when we're, you know, realizing how many of these, uh, I mean, they're so-called emerging pollutants, but actually, some several of them we've known a lot about for a long time. So, but we know there's so many of these, and we can find, you know, where we've looked, we've done work to show um, you can find over a hundred of these if you look, look in the more, more polluted, or hundreds, I say, and look in the more polluted. Um, river locations around the uk and um yeah so if anything we need to be upping the monitoring so it's not localized then pretty much you 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 know throw a dart at a river in the uk it's going to have something nasty floating around in it most likely pretty much yeah there's not a single uk river that's in good what's called good chemical status yeah good chemical health um and that's based on regular regulatory standards for around 50 chemicals bear in mind there are 10,000 PFAS alone and all you know you can add to that whole range of hundreds of industrial chemicals flame retardants for example personal care products pharmaceuticals metals hydrocarbons all of that we only really regulate around 50 that come in with a sort of a standard that has to be met and based just on those 50 not a not a single UK river is in good chemical status if we looked at all the others we wouldn't have a hope in hell. Really? Wow. So it's it's pretty... So, yeah, so it, chemical pollution of our rivers is ubiquitous, really. Wherever you look, you'll find at least some chemicals, at least tens of chemicals, and we've found hundreds in certain locations. So is it safe to say that, that some of these rivers are not fit for human purpose? Like, you wouldn't recommend people go swimming in them or, or using them because of the, the amount of chemicals in them, or, or is it not as not as drastic as that? I don't think it's as drastic as that. No, but, okay. Uh, um, you know, I, I think I think you can swim in them. There is a big issue around, it's pretty clear the impact these chemicals are having on upon a, a, aquatic life. Yeah. But what it all means for human health is, is much less well understood. So, you know, obviously um, a lot of people these days, well, perhaps always have, uh, enjoy swimming in rivers, not just coastal waters. Um, what does it mean to take a big gulp inadvertently of river water that's somewhat polluted? Mm. Probably it's not not a major issue, but we don't really know. Um, and ditto contamination of uh, fish and shellfish and so on, and and eating those. What does that mean? So it's all a bit of a grey area, really. Uh, and it's, it, it, I think you can't take that question in isolation. It's it's also about what about our drinking water? So they've, they've been caused to make our standards for uh, PFAS standards in drinking water more stringent. At the moment, they're, they're lagging behind the US and the European Union. 
Um, so it's it's um, and and exposure to these chemicals through the air as well. So it's it's a challenging, it's a really pertinent question. I I, I would say people don't need to stop swimming in rivers, uh, but clearly we need to do more to um, reduce the chemical contamination. Because I suppose compared to the sea, with the amount of things that we eat in the sea, we don't eat as many things out. Of, you know, I mean, I guess people might take the odd trout or something, but it's not it's not a a major source of food. Whereas um, when we look at the, all the all the fish and whatever we take from the sea, anything building which which could be building up there as well, I suppose, um, it's something to consider. Like you say, isn't it? If if these animals are accumulating chemicals and then we're eating them, then um, it could be passing on to us. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and um, it's fairly well documented in well, fairly well documented in, in marine life and marine fish. Um, we did a bit, bit of work recently looking at PFAS levels in in freshwater fish, and mm. they show that, you know, you exceed uh, safe levels uh, if you eat freshwater fish, something like a bit more than once a month. But, of course, as you say, tip, for the most part, we don't eat that many freshwater fish, but we, no. we do eat some. So um, it's something to be mindful of. And it's also an indicator, you know, what we find in our rivers, we'll pretty much find in our estuaries and our coastal waters as well. You know, the, the discharge of pollutants goes downstream. So there's that. We need to be very mindful of that. The other, just to go back, the other important element I think about human health is... Um, antimicrobial resistance so we find bacteria resistant to antibiotics in rivers um, on beaches in soils um, again if you look for them you can find them um, and that's triggered to some extent obviously by chemicals by use of antibiotics that we excrete they go down to the sewer system are partially treated and end up in the river um, and we also you know often don't complete a, a course of antibiotics and that gets can get um, flushed down the toilet and end up in the river so that can drive this resistance to um uh bacteria we, to antibiotics in in bacteria in, in rivers and in coastal waters and in it interestingly um surfers have been shown to uh, have three times as many resistant bacteria in their bodies than non-surfers so it's quite an issue what it all means human health i'm not entirely sure i'm not you know that i'm not best placed to no, comment on no, that no. but it, it 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 at least sort of illustrates just how you know we've allowed this pollution to rise in chemical pollution to rise so so whilst we're talking about bacteria here and that's seemingly a sewage issue it is also related to chemicals in in our use and disposal of antibiotics because it was was it an e coli outbreak last our outbreak might be a bit strong but there was an eco life, I think, in London or somewhere like that, and they they linked that to um, potentially to uh, coming out from sewage because they they're getting stronger. I think it was something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, and human health and and sewage remains, you know, a really important issue. We know that you know, obviously, COVID made its way through the wastewater treatment uh, system and out into rivers and so on. So, um, yeah, no e coli, and there are. Plenty of others, and and it's it's not just sort of human sources or agricultural sources of of potential pathogens, things like Campylobacter and Cryptosporidium as well. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I, what was the other thing I read about? Um, I mean, you mentioned like kind of more um, <laughs> traditional medicine there, but even like, you know, like illicit drugs like cocaine. I forget. Is it something like um, some eels or something? They did a test on, and they had 
levels of cocaine in them because the amount of that's entering rivers, which is, you know, it's a good it's a good Daily Mail news headline anyway. It's <laughs> cocaine eels or whatever, but it, it it's crazy what's ending up in there. Yeah, it is. And there have been some studies to show that antidepressants, so far, a lot of pharmaceuticals can make it through uh, the wastewater tr- treatment system and end up partially treated and making into rivers and coastal waters. And there have been studies to show the impact of antidepressants, for example, on, on aquatic life and so on. And there was a, you're right, there was a big study a few years ago that looked at cocaine I think it was cocaine in major rivers across Europe and it included the Thames, I think. And you can kind of sort of back track the calculations. So you work out how much cocaine is coming down the mouth of the Thames or the Seine or wherever it, it is. And you kind of know how well it's treated in the treatment plants. And if you account for that, you can work out how much is being used, so to speak. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. And um, I think in every case, in all these major European rivers, it showed that our previous understanding of cocaine use had been underestimated by an order of magnitude. I bet, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Draw whatever conclusions you like yeah. from that. But, but I mean, the broader point on you know aquatic life is they are subject to a whole range of these pharmaceutical chemicals. Um, in some cases, or chemicals more generally, in some cases they have um, one of the nastier outcomes that. Are chemicals that have um, endocrine disrupting properties, so they impact the hormonal system. And um, the most famous example, I'd say, is um, with freshwater fish. The uh, male fish become feminized, so that's quite a pretty um, stark uh, impact, really. So these these fish, these animals that live in in British rivers, are just. I think the only word you can describe is bombarded. With, from all sides it's not just one thing it's it's uh you know pharmaceutical chemicals it's agricultural chemicals it's road chemicals it's sewage you know and it, it's a miracle we've got anything floating around really when you look at what you've said it's it's bonkers it, it, yeah it, it's funny because i think you hit the nail on the head there i often think that myself that knowing about particularly in the more polluted spots and i think what happens is you um you end up with sort of a less diverse population of of whether it's fish or invertebrates you you just get the hardy ones who's who sort of you know dominate and um i mean the way you describe it there sort of it captures a really important point that actually um the way we regulate these chemicals we don't regulate many of them we only set standards in rivers for around 50 or so but of course they come in mixtures chemical cocktails and you know the poor old fish doesn't much care that we've regulated uh, a particular chemicals it cares about the overall impact of all these you know huge number in a great big mixture and um the science has showed us that actually these mixtures um have they sort of augment the detrimental impacts um by combining so the combination itself makes things worse um and the trouble is at a sort of policy level we we don't deal with that very well. We don't set a standard for the mixture. We only set a standard for the individual chemicals. So that's a real challenge, actually, how, how to deal with that. And what can Joe Public do? Like if, if someone, um, I mean, I guess chemicals can be difficult because it's not something you necessarily see either, is it? It's like, I mean, I think people think like, oh, we're going to walk along the river and there's going to be a sewage pipe firing out nappies. And it's it's not always like that. So it's often more subtle. But if someone does notice that there is some sort of, uh, chemical issue what what should people do 
Well, if if they notice uh, something walking on the riverbank, um, they can they can notify uh, us or their local rivers trust or the environment agency. The environment agency has a hotline to uh, pollution incidents, um, so they you know they can take immediate action in in that way. We also have our Big River Watch um, app that um, has been quite widely used, um, and that you can use to flag. Um, you know, visual clues, I guess, is what, what we're talking about here. Um, but there is, you know, beyond that, but you're right, actually, it is hard to pick up on. Often you can have a quite a polluted river with respect to a number of chemicals and you won't, you know, won't be particularly apparent, you know, if you just walk along the river bank. Um, but I guess there's another issue that I think we need to do more on as a society, and that is raise public, well, we need to raise awareness across the board about this, but public awareness, because... You know, we all use chemicals in our homes and in the garden as well that we could perhaps probably could use more sustainably and dispose of in a more dis um, sustainable way. So there's that there's that element the public can, you know, there's a sort of behavioral change that we can all um, take into account that can make a difference. And no, no one thing sort of solves the problem in itself. There's several elements we need to implement, but that's something that we can do as individuals when it comes to chemical pollution. Because it surprised me that um, things that you wouldn't even expect, like uh, the one that always shocks me is fairy liquid, which, you know, I'm sure many people will use fairy liquid in their homes to wash their plates. But if you look on the back of it, it says toxic to the environment. And obviously, if that goes down your drain and it's not being screened properly, going into a river, that's releasing um, toxins. So I don't use that anymore. So there'll, there'll be lots of things that will surprise you that you don't think, oh, that this is, you know, this isn't an issue. Just check the label on the back because you'd be amazed at what, what is a problem but i guess the the counter to that is that the uh water company should should be properly screening this stuff it shouldn't be ending up in our rivers in the first place anyway should it no you're right I, exactly a lot of stuff we think is seemingly okay comes with uh you know some level of uh toxic impact um and the way the system works is as you described typically stuff goes down the toilet or down the drain and ends up into the treatment plant and it's somewhat treated it depends on the chemical some some chemicals will be treated very well others not and they'll end up more in you know into the river but the other challenge is and this is why it comes back to sort of addressing the problem at source is that um if the treatment plant does knock out a particular chemical quite well it can end up in sewage sludge and that can be applied to agricultural land um, um, so it's just being I mean, messed around. Yeah. So, for example, microplastics are knocked out very well by the wastewater treatment process. But if that sewage sludge that's left is then applied to agricultural land, it'll be full of microplastics. So it's actually, uh, um, yeah. So it's not, um, and to, and some of these chemicals, I mean, it's very much chemical dependent. But some of them, um, you need almost drinking water treatment standards bolted onto a wastewater treatment plant to actually really knock them out. So some of those really are, you know, persistent and hard to get rid of. So other, others much less so. It just depends um, on the nature of the, the chemicals concerned. So, but that's why, again, you know, sort of it, we need to sort of tackle the thing at source. And that's why we can play a role as individuals in, you yeah. know, in our homes and garden gardens. Yeah, no, that... That makes sense, Rob. Well, look, I mean, it, it's been fascinating and slightly worrying hearing all these problems <laughs> that um, rivers have, but it's it's interesting to find them find them all out. Is is there a um, 
I mean, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but is this there a, a, a solution for the whole thing? I mean, I guess that is the thing, isn't it? Like, is is there a way to to stop it, or is it mainly kind of more bureaucratic, like comes down to legislation and 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 stopping it at that level? I think it's a mixed bag, really. We yeah. do that that high level definitely has to play a key role. Um, so we need to be banning, yeah, phasing out some of the worst chemicals. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and that comes down to our regulatory and authorization system. Um, and but then there are other things we can do. Um, we've talked about the monitoring, but um, but we also need to invest more in wastewater treatment. We need to invest more to tackle storm overflows for sure that that are linked to the sewage system. Um, but we need more to, for example, to support farmers, um, pesticides, for example, that end up in a river represent an economic loss to farmers. So we need to support farmers in providing advice and guidance to, you know, better target use of pesticides, for example. We can do more in the home, as I, as I mentioned. Uh, so there's several elements. It cuts right across society, I think, um, in what we can do about the problem. Yeah. But, no. but you know, much greater awareness is, is the first step. So in the same way that, you know, media and the wider public have been so much more aware of sewage recently over the last couple of years, I think, just now we're getting a creeping understanding here and there that actually it's not just about the the bugs the bacteria and the viruses it's about the hazardous chemicals as well so we're beginning to see that recognition grow yeah no i agree i think it is kind of filtering through the public zeitgeist uh, a little a little bit more um if yeah. people want to find out more about the the rivers trust and you mentioned the app as well uh, what what's the best thing for people to go to is it website social media Yes, uh, well, a bit of both, really. So come to our website, you should be able to find everything there, but social media as well. We're pretty active these days on social media. Um, we have a network of, as I mentioned, individual Rivers Trusts around the country. So, you know, feel free to contact your local Rivers Trust as well. Yeah, I, I think, well, I mean, I'm on the Trent catchment, so that's mine, but everyone everyone should have one nearby, which will do kind of more local things that will be relevant to to people as well as the the wider stuff that you do um well it's, it's right. been yes. It's, yes it's been a it's been a pleasure uh rob talking about it and finding out a little bit more about it and um will make me think twice before i start swallowing a load of river water next time i'm bobbing around uh <laughs> bobbing around in the trent maybe but yeah th thanks for coming along no thank you very much thanks to you jack and the more exposure we can get to this issue the, the better so thanks to you that was rob collins from the rivers trust I definitely recommend checking out the Rivers Trust website. Uh, I'm an ambassador for the Rivers Trust. I'm very proud to work with them. They're a great organization. Um, they've also got lots of local branches. So whatever kind of catchment you are in the UK, there will be a Rivers Trust representing that catchment. So it's well worth looking into. The statement that caught my attention was when Rob mentioned that it's not recommended to eat freshwater fish more than once a month. That's quite shocking, isn't it? Now, typically in the UK, we don't eat freshwater fish much. I mean, trout occasionally. But it just it just makes you think, Jesus, like, is it that bad that we can't eat fresh fish that regularly? Now, obviously, that's fish from rivers, not necessarily fish that come from farms or whatever. But still, it's, um, it's pretty shocking when you think about it. So this is the part of the podcast where I recommend one of my previous YouTube videos for you to check out. If you're not subscribed to my YouTube channel already, it's Chasing Scales. Highly recommend you check it out. There's lots of content on there. Um, and the video I'm recommending today is about an osprey hide in Rutland. It's River Gouache Osprey Hide. And basically I go and do a review 
I did a few of these on the channel. Um, I haven't done any recently, but I maybe might start doing them again. But what I used to do is I would go to wildlife photography hides and film a review and just let people know, is it worth the money? What are you likely to see? And this particular day, I went to this hide in uh, Rutland and it was mental. I'll let you watch the video, but it was crazy. I got so many uh, shots of ospreys and them diving. It was, it was really good. So there's a link in the description to this podcast if you want to watch that, or you can just go to my YouTube channel. If you type in osprey, it'll it'll pop up. I've also got a YouTube live event, which I've been mercilessly plugging in the last few podcasts. So on the 21st of March, 2024, at half 6.30pm, um, you can check me out on YouTube and I'll be doing a, a live event. I haven't done one for a couple of years. I'll be talking about the podcast. I'll be talking about Britain's Hidden Fishes. I'll be answering your questions live. I'll probably be pouring myself a little whiskey or two um, and we'll just have a good old chat. So if you can join me for that, it'd be great to uh, speak to a few of you guys as well. If you can support us on social media as well, on Instagram, it's at Fish Twitcher. On Twitter, I think we've got our own Twitter account, though I don't do much with it, but that's Bearded Tits Podcast. Or you can follow me directly, Jack Perks Photo. And on Facebook, same thing, Jack Perks Wildlife Media or the Bearded Tits Podcast. Now, next week, I am going to be doing a slightly different kind of podcast. I'm doing careers advice, which you might think, Jesus Christ, Jack, that sounds terrifying. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about how to break into the industry of wildlife camera operators, wildlife photographers, uh, and presenting and just kind of give you some helpful tips and hints try not to be too downer because I realize I can be a little bit um, pessimistic at times but just if people want to break into those industries I'm going to give you some tips and hints on how to do so this has been the Bearded Tits podcast I've been your host Jack Perks and I'll see you next Tuesday cheers